Hey y'all, welcome to the Visit Roswell podcast where we talk all things tourism and hospitality related in Roswell, Georgia. We will be interviewing our partners all throughout the community and hopefully inspiring you to plan a trip to visit Roswell at your natural pace. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Crafting Roswell, the official podcast of Visit Roswell, we, where we talk all things hospitality and tourism. My name is Danielle Purdy, and uh, I'm the marketing manager for Visit Roswell. We're super excited for today's podcast, and we're going to be joined by a few guests talking all about uh, music and the Roswell Arts Fund. And this is a super interesting one where we're on site at the art block happening at the Roswell Cultural Arts Center and at City Hall. Today, we're gonna be joined with Jake Xerxes Fussell, who is a musician that is gonna be playing at the Roswell Arts Fund pop-up series. And also Brent Walburn, who is the podcast creator of In Loving Recollection. Um, So guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. Awesome. Uh, so we're just going to kick things off with talking about who you guys are. If you want to introduce yourselves to our audience and let them know who you are. Uh, yeah, my name is Jake Xerxes Fussell, and I'm a musician. I live in North Carolina, in Durham. I grew up in Columbus, Georgia, a couple hours south of here. And uh, uh, I'm glad to be in Roswell playing at this uh, pop-up performance tonight. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm uh, Brent Walburn, and uh, I live in Noonan, Georgia, which is where I also grew up. And I do a podcast called A Loving Recollection, in which uh, each episode focuses on a specific record, the making of a record and whatnot. And I had the pleasure of interviewing Jake, uh, I guess it was probably a year or so ago, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. And we talked about his record. What in the Natural World, which was released in 2017. He has since gone on to release another great record called Out of Sight. What year was that? Was that? 2019. 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So every two years. Every two years. So we're doing one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the that's gotta happen at some point. Um, so Brent is actually gonna be having a conversation with Jake about kind of the music that Jake creates, his process, and kind of what listeners can can expect to hear if you're not familiar with Jake's music, and uh, you know, get to know a little bit more about about uh, his style. So, Brent, mm-hmm. if you want to take it away, yeah, sure, I'd love to. So, so I guess I mean, let's start just talking about your background um because I you know I do think uh, you do have a very kind of interesting story and in, you know how you got into uh playing music and whatnot you know growing up in Columbus which side note I did go to Columbus last weekend so oh, you did yeah and I went to uh I went to the uh Columbus Museum is that the museum your dad used to curate yes, yes. okay yep. oh, nice. nice so I guess tell us about growing up in Columbus and <coughs> around art and all that stuff well uh so columbus is like i don't know what it is now scott because i'm looking at scott hitch who's also from columbus 
maybe is it still the second largest city in Georgia? Second or third. Second or third, because I think we always like are competing with Augusta or something. Mm -hmm. Always kind of <laughs> goes up and down there. But it's funny, like a lot of people don't talk about Columbus because it's in some ways it's not really tied as tied into the interstate system. Uh, but it's you know historically it's a cotton mill town that was its its sort of origin there on the Chattahoochee River, which runs through here, and it's on the Alabama line. Um, and I guess a lot of people historically know about Columbus because of its proximity to Phoenix City, Alabama, across the river, which was a place of ill repute for many years. And that's where your dad grew up. That's right? where my dad grew up. Um, but yeah, both my parents were involved in the arts there and still are. My mom was a high school English teacher for many years, and then she went into um, went into teaching college, and she's now retired at Columbus State University there. My dad was involved in the arts, and still is. He was a museum curator and a folklorist, uh, sort of contract folklorist. He did a lot of stuff for the state uh, in that capacity, but also through his work at the museum there. And uh, he sort of specialized in like vernacular visual art uh, and, but also other stuff. He like a lot of, you were talking about going to the museum. He was responsible for getting a lot of the stuff in the permanent collection there mm -hmm. as, a, as a curator and um, also designed the history gallery there. So yeah, I kind of grew up in that museum. Um, my dad worked there as curator until I was like in, fourth or fifth grade, something like that. And then he left and became an uh, independent folklorist, uh, which meant that he was um, working on like state and sometimes like NEA funding to document uh, regional vernacular culture. And some of that was music. Um, a lot of it was like material culture, mm -hmm. like people who made baskets or uh, blacksmiths and things like that but some of it was um, people like uh, who played traditional music uh, old fiddlers and ballad singers and things like that so I kind of grew up in a world of uh, in, in, you know in an arts household and then uh, my parents were friends with lots of people who did similar work mm -hmm. so there were kind of people coming in and out of the house all the time visiting who were involved in that kind of the world of folk art and folk music documentation, which sounds really fancy, but it was actually just like, <laughs> it wasn't all that intellectual. It was, well, I guess part of it was, but it was, yeah. there weren't rigorous academics or anything, but it was kind of like people who were interested in uh, expressive culture, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, so as a kid growing up in that with my sister, Coulter, my older sister, who's, who went to school with Scott here, um, were like interested in all that stuff and kind of absorbed a lot of that. My sister's a visual artist and I got into the music part of it. Nice. Uh, so that's a long-winded answer. No, no, it's great. <laughs> but I guess tell us about getting into the music because mm -hmm. like when did you, because when I think about, you know, me first getting into music, uh, you know, when, when music like started to become mean, when it became the meaning of the most to me as a teenager, like 14 mm -hmm. definitely wasn't folk music sure it was you know uh you know it was stuff that was on you know the radio yeah so how how does uh you know say a 10 year old 12 year old 13 year old uh teenager 
really get into like finger picking and all that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was like any kid my age, like interested in whatever was on MTV and the radio as well. Mm-hmm. So I was listening to Nirvana and like, you know, whatever was sure. uh, big in 1991, 92, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and I liked all that. Uh, but then there was always this other side of things that I didn't really talk about that much with like my friends in school, just because I sort of knew that it was obscure or something. Mm-hmm. And um, but like when I was a kid, uh, my dad and this guy George Mitchell, who was from Atlanta, the folklorist who recorded a lot of old time blues people, um, they had put on this festival in my hometown called the Chattahoochee Folk Festival, which had happened uh, right there on the um, in the river in my hometown, the old promenade district. And um, so it was a lot of people who played like rural blues people from the area and like fiddlers and stuff like that and gospel groups. And so I'd seen a lot of that music and really been enthralled by it as a kid, particularly a few people. There was like this, this woman named Precious Bryant who was from Talbot County, Georgia, which is right down the road from Columbus. And she was an old, um, a rural blues woman, singer and great guitar player. And I'd gotten to know her really well because she didn't drive and my, my mother would drive her to okay. the gigs yeah. and I would ride along uh, or my dad would. And so she'd play like regional festivals or she'd play uh, Blind Willies here in Atlanta, mm-hmm. you know, okay, yeah. and Virginia Highlands. And uh, so I was a kid getting to go see this blues woman play. And then I was always interested in music as a kid. There was also just a lot of like cool stuff. Scott Hitch was in this band called the Goliards that was awesome. <laughs> that was kind of, pretty if I'm wrong, but it was sort of folk rockish, like yeah. the, and, and, mandolin. and mandolin. And it was like, I remember y'all, this, this band being playing around Columbus around the time that REM's Out of Time record came out. Mm-hmm. And it was like in that same vein to mm-hmm. me, like very like Peter <laughs> Buckish, like I mean, nice. Really great band. Uh, so I, only fan, Jake. <laughs> I don't think that's true. Uh, but that band was around. There was also this group, um, like a bluegrass band that played at a local barbecue place called Country's Barbecue. This uh, band called the Bluegrass Review, which included this guy, uh, Robert George, who had gone to high school with my dad in Phoenix City, who was just a great singer and played an old beat up Martin guitar. And, um, and my music teacher, my elementary school music teacher, played upright bass in that band, David Seconder. And um, uh, there was just stuff like that that was like not part of the popular thing that was still yeah. deeply interesting to me. And I always knew in the back of my mind, like I was into music. And when I turned like 13 and started really getting into guitar, I was like, I was also into other stuff that had popular things that had obvious connections to sure. traditional music, like Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, and a little bit like the Beatles or something, or maybe the Stones. There, you can see like they're they're feeding off of that, all that stuff. Um, so I guess at a certain point, like I just kind of got serious with the guitar, and well, like I think that happens when you're like pubescent age. Of course, yeah. It's like you're kind of fooling around with stuff, and then it's like. I don't know, hobbies get real or something. Uh, <laughs> and so I got real into finger picking and I was like, oh, well, everything that I like actually goes back to the stuff that like Precious is playing, you know? Um, 
And so then I sort of discovered also the sort of world of pre-war recordings, like a pre-war vernacular recordings, like from the 78 mm -hmm. era. So like Blind Boy Fuller and Robert Johnson and all that sort of stuff. And then I realized like I could ask Precious about any of this. And yeah. she was of course aware of it, you know, cause that was the music that she grew up listening to. Um, and she would know some of those songs, you know, it was like, oh, this crazy like resource right in front of me, yeah. you know? Uh, so it kind of happened like that, uh, Precious. And then, and then when I was in high school, I got into, there were other people other than Precious who played, like there was uh, these two guys over in uh, Macon County, Alabama, like sort of outside the town of Hertzboro, um, which is not far from Columbus. This guy, George Daniel, and another guy named Robert Thomas, who were older blues men, mm -hmm. who played really old style and like open tunings and stuff. And and then some old time fiddlers and stuff. There was a guy named Marion Jones who lived in Elville, Georgia, sort of near Buena Vista, where my mom's from, uh, who was a great old time fiddler. And there were little regional things too. Like there would be occasionally like a fiddler's convention at Westville and Lumpkin, and went to that one time. And there were like sort of bluegrass jams where there was a lot of bluegrass there would be like some other like there'd be a little circle of people playing like older pre-bluegrass mm -hmm. music and I started to become aware of that kind of um string band music at the same time they're like because my parents were friends with these people who were documentarians that that kind of opened up the world gotcha. of like all the study of that stuff too mm -hmm. so one huge uh influence on me was this guy Art Rosenbaum who a lot of people in Georgia know because he's, uh, I think he's retired now. He was a painting professor at UGA for yeah. many years. Uh, but he is also one of like the preeminent scholars of traditional music, just like in America. Yeah. So he went around like beginning in the mm -hmm. mid 50s, making field recordings of people in rural areas all over the place, recording like traditional ballads in Appalachia. And he wound up in Athens, he and his wife Margot in the mid 70s, and they did like thorough folk music mm -hmm. documentation of North Georgia um, beginning at that time and still are doing it. Yeah. They're like well into their 80s now and making field recordings. That, uh, so that's that's a big part of it. And, and George yeah. Mitchell, that guy who, was, who lived in Atlanta, had made all these blues field recordings. So it was like in high school, all that stuff started rolling together and being like, oh, this is actually like, this is a whole world of interest, you know. Did you ever get to meet Michael Stipe? I'm, well, you know what? I say no. Because uh, <laughs> then he used to rent like a room from Art Rosenbaum. Like <clears throat> that's probably true. I've never heard that, but I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> I know that he was like a painting student of art. Yeah. Uh, in the early before REM was like a thing, I yeah. think. But I, I say that I didn't meet Michael Stipe, but actually there was like a. Art used to be involved in the North Georgia Folk Festival oh, okay. that happened in Sandy Creek Park every year outside of Athens. And there was one year like early on where we brought Precious and there was like a party afterwards with a bunch of people playing music, mm -hmm. like a bunch of like fiddlers and stuff. Sure. And Michael Stuck was there. Okay. And that was like, I was little, I don't remember meeting him, <laughs> but I remember my parents talking about it. Like, oh, we met this guy. He's like a rock star or something. I mean, it was probably like 86 or something. And then like the next year, Green came out. Yeah. You know, and it was like course, huge, yeah. you know. I mean, they were already big before that, but like this was really big, you know, like Warner Brothers or whatever. So yeah, I think I did meet him back then. <laughs> and then later on, my sister like lived in Athens and she kind of knew him. Yeah, okay. right now. But um, uh, Art Rosenbaum's, he, he's mentioned 
quite a bit in that uh, book that came out a year or so ago called Pool Town, which is all about the <coughs> early Athens. I need to read that. It's a great book. Yeah. Great book. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, he's kind of one of those people who's really known. I mean, in a way, he's really known in Georgia as part of that, mm -hmm. Athens and the whole thing. But then, like, you can go to New York City and mention him, and it's like, oh, yeah, I remember him in the 50s, like, hanging out with Dave Van Rock and Bob Dylan, <laughs> like, at Gertie's Folk City. Yeah. And they know him, like, through that, where he's, like, a real, like, uh, early folk revival yeah. person, you know, um, who was really involved in a lot of documentation early on. You know, when I think about, like, your music, uh, there's this quote that I heard years ago um and just kind of knowing your story and everything it kind of reminds me of this but it's, it's i attribute it to my uncle mose uh who for you podcast listeners his first name was actually roswell he didn't go by that he went by lee oh, wow. <laughs> okay and if, wait he went by his name was roswell he went by lee but you call him uncle mose yeah. <laughs> it's like totally like a southern <laughs> southern thing you know? yeah. go by your middle name professionally <laughs> And nickname by your family. Yeah, so many Mose. names. Yeah, um, we could do a whole podcast on that. Black <laughs> but uh, he said that Southern men spend the first 25 years of their life uh, escaping the places of their birth and the next 25 years trying to return. <laughs> and uh, I think about, I think about you sort of in that regard because um you know, after you left high school, you went to California and spent some time out there. Um, but then you, you know, you eventually made your way back down to the South and you're, you know, you're playing music that's very much influenced by the places of, of your youth. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, I just, I, I find that really interesting about your story and just, you know, how you, how you pick certain songs uh, that are part of your show and then yeah. eventually become part of your uh, records I mean how what, what what is the process like for you I mean how do you uh, how do you pick these songs and how do you come up with the arrangement because I mean the interesting thing about you is that you know you're like a true folk musician you're not just you're not just taking a song and doing it the way that everybody else does it you're you're you know you're taking your own spin on it like the way in a way that folk music is supposed to be. It's, it's folk, there's not a definitive version of the song. Mm. There's many different versions. Yeah. And you are just one of the many versions of a particular song. Sure. Um, so what's that process like for you? Uh, well, the process of like picking songs is kind of just more intuitive. Like it's, it's more has to do with like, well, I mean, the, the first thing is like, do you, you have to like be in love with it and do you find it interesting as mm -hmm. a song or whatever? That's like the main thing. But that it has to meet that criteria or whatever. But then like the other part of like, I can love a song, but not necessarily want to sing it because it just doesn't feel like appropriate for my voice or something. And then there's some historical things too from picking like old traditional songs. Like this might be interesting historically, but if I try to sing it, it doesn't come off very legitimate. Like a lot of like, uh, I love Alan Lomax's recordings of like prison work songs, mm -hmm. but I wouldn't want to try to go there. Sure. It's like that just feels <laughs> wrong. Yeah. You know, it feels like exploitative or something. Um and just illegitimate. But um see that's what I that's what I love about you as an artist mm -hmm. because you know you're playing <clears throat> folk music, but you're you know, you're not wearing a, a newsies cap and like dungarees <laughs> or something. You know, like you're yeah. you're, you're your own self. 
putting your spin on it, which I think is is important if you're working in the tradition of folk music. I think I think I might have gone through a Newsies cap phase when I was like <laughs> 17 or something. I think part of that was, and I know what you're saying, there is like a uh, maybe even more in like the string band world and stuff mm -hmm. like that. There's a lot of people who you might say are like more fundamentalist or, or in their revivalism or something. Yeah. And it's more like capturing some spirit of 1927 or something. Yeah. And I actually appreciate that. Like, I'm not somebody who's against that. But there's like some in interior musician gossip circles. There's a lot of like smack talking about people sure. like that and stuff. And I try <laughs> I guess to. I just did. <laughs> well, I'm it's, sorry. It's, it's, that's okay. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of that stuff has been important too. Like, I, I like, uh, like, I like some bands that do that because I, I, I everybody has a shtick you know sure and so yeah. a, a, there's a stage thing and the, the people play characters whether they claim to or not or whatever but <laughs> um but i think part of where it comes from for me is like i did have the sort of privilege of getting to know people like precious and george daniel and these other people i'm talking about uh and like art was mom where i didn't necessarily see folk music is something that was trapped in the 20s or uh, a bygone era, even yeah. though I was aware that a lot of this music had, in terms of cultural import, had kind of gone by the wayside mm -hmm. and was sort of interest in, you know, finger picking patterns was maybe not the most current thing or the most culturally relevant thing in the moment, <laughs> uh, even though there's, of course, a great revival of that stuff. Yeah, now. definitely. Now. And, and there kind of always is like a I mean, you know, we talk a lot about the 60s or whatever, but there's always like a string band revival that really like sometimes it like cools off and then it comes up another 10 years later. Mm -hmm. And like there's always another generation of kids who are interested in this stuff. I mean, it's funny because I'm like on some, uh, we kind of talk about this on the ride down here yesterday that I'm on some like Facebook interest groups and like most of the people who are talking about old time music and have, who know way more about a lot of the old fiddle tunes and stuff than me are like 20 years old oh, okay. and so that's another generation <laughs> yeah. and they they uh you know they're much more removed from like the people who were born of course in the late 19th century who they're their heroes mm -hmm. uh than even i am like i've met some of those people and stuff but like uh they're much more like knowledgeable in other ways because sure. they have all this uh, you know internet access yeah, that I didn't amazing. have when I was like 14 or whatever and so and also the benefit of like um, the record reissue thing too like the Harry Smith anthology being reissued and uh, I guess that was like 97 or something I think that was a big thing because afterwards you saw a big sweep of that stuff and now it's like like when I was a kid you go in the record store try to find like Yazoo CDs or whatever, or like pre-war blues recordings, it would be like in the corner of the store, yeah. like one little section, and you might find like five of them like a dollar. for like a dollar. <laughs> and now it's like you go in a record store and that's the thing that's in the front window sure, like on display. It's yeah. like obscure recordings of, uh, I don't know, it's like, a, and that's in the international music field too, like Pakistani guitar from 1976 to 1983. <laughs> and it's like what the kids are buying. Yeah, <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah it's uh, cool. And the vinyl revival yeah. too. I think it's part of that. But uh, anyway, the whole thing about like uh, my interpretation of folk songs being like 
different and that I'm not like a fundamentalist revivalist. I think comes from that thing of having the benefit of not necessarily seeing it always historically, mm-hmm. you know, so that like when you'd go to like Precious Bryant's house, it, it was very much like in the present to me. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't also sort of saw everybody as, even though people were part of a tradition, everybody was sort of their own interpreter, you know, yeah. and, and recognizing that early on, like, oh, this person sings this ballad this way. And then this person over here, like, sings it really differently but there's there's some connection there mm-hmm. but then like the way that they're different is also really interesting like, yeah. this way is like much more expressive and this way is like much more like sticks to the story and it's all about the narrative and just kind of like getting interested in all that um and um, wanting to maybe try to embody some of that when i when i started trying to interpret songs too it's like uh, how does this feel like legitimate to me in my voice and how do i actually play with this in a way that has feeling you yeah. know that was like the first thing because otherwise I think I did see some artists who I thought like well they're skilled technically but um maybe it's not the most interesting version of this to me because it just seems like it's trying to really sound like that version from 1923 and I don't know if what is the purpose then yeah. and if you can hear the one from 1923 then what is that serving other than being like is it an homage to that recording or are they offering something else? But that's sort of part of it. Yeah, you know, I think you're less of a revivalist and more of a continuation, I feel like. Um, I guess so. Although, you know, I have a criteria. Like, I, I don't, I'm not, and I, and I do, there are some places where I, like, draw a line, I guess. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I could, like, be, like, a synthesizer guy, too. <laughs> like, I, and I like some of that stuff. Yeah. Like, I, I could leave room for that, but at the same time, I still just like a guitar player. And, yeah. Uh, the other thing about this is that a lot of the so-called revivalists from like the '50s and '60s were pretty expressive too in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Like not like Kingston Trio or whatever, but um, like Dave Van Romp was sure. very expressive. If you hear his versions of those songs, he was actually doing a lot to make them his own. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and there's some people like that from. Um, those those years that were like pretty expressive that you would hear like oh they're not just trying to like recreate something they're trying to they're trying to summon some feelings there um so yeah (laughs) that's where it's at for me i guess i will say and uh you know i think daniel you you have some questions about roswell and his relation to roswell but i I did want to bring up the the how you know we're talking about you know folk music but you know you record digitally right I mean, yeah you, you mm-hmm. use, i mean so it's not like you're using a reel to reel or anything like that <laughs> yeah um, but the thing i want to say about your records is that um what i love about them is that it seems like the you know you do have these kind of subtle touches of other instrumentation but the focus is is on your guitar and on your singing which mm-hmm. i really love like the focus is always on that and i mean that's your thing yeah they get you know the guitar um so i mean i guess when you go to make a record if you could quick quickly kind of just i mean what are you what are you what are you thinking about when you're like i'm going to make a record i want to sound this way I mean, what 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 are some of the things that are going through your head like um in it's usually like, how do I serve the song best? And my 
having the guitar and my vocal be like the center of it it's kind of been more by default than anything because i'm so used to like playing by myself tonight i'll actually have my band with me which is really fun but like uh and i do that every now and then when i can like afford to bring them and they're available but uh they all play in other bands too sure. they're, they're busy but um i've like traveled for years now you know I'm kind of, I was joking with my friend the other day that I'm like a constant like opening act, which is like some people will see that as like a second rate activity, which I, I don't like actually it's taken me a lot of places. I've been very thankful for it. It also gets, allows me to like see a lot of different types of music and stuff for the, the main act. But I'm like support guy a lot because I'm solo with a guitar and so it's easy for me to travel yeah. and they can usually afford me. <laughs> um, and I'm not like a too much to carry along if people are in a bus, it's just one more person or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I have done a lot of that and I've, I've played solo by myself um, for many years and it's like, I like doing that because with my finger picking style, I can like uh, musically afford to do it. Like it's, I can, there's enough going on there. I can feel like it's sustain a song okay. And I don't really necessarily always need backing musicians. When I go into the studio, I'll, I see that as opportunity to use other sounds that I wouldn't when I'm playing with it. So it's like, gotcha. oh, it's like you have a, an opportunity to do something a little different. You, you have an opportunity to like play arranger composer a little bit more. So um, in the past when I'm, gone in to make a record it's like how do we make this interesting like it'd be cool to like try different instruments that I wouldn't try normally you know to bring in like a piano on this one thing that wouldn't normally normally have a piano on it or a harmony vocal or a saxophone or something um, and so that's um, kind of the way I view it it's like how do you make interesting textures because records like I'm not I listen to a lot of different types of music mm -hmm. and recordings so I really love that's pretty wide. Like I like all kinds of like new wave music and I love uh, ambient music like Brian Eno and stuff like that. And I listen to a lot of jazz and uh, you know, I love Cannonball Adderley and uh, Nina Simone. So uh, there's, and a lot of those people were really great. In addition to being great, they were also great at making records mm -hmm. and making records interesting. So. And that's the thing too, maybe it's related to this when we were talking about the fundamentalist folk music thing is there's a lot of people who are really great uh, musicians in the folk music world who maybe haven't been as interesting at making records because they were just maybe trying to capture things in too limited a way or something, mm -hmm. or they maybe, yeah, I don't know. There's some, sometimes that, what you get from them in a live setting is much more expansive and enveloping than listening to their albums. Sure. You know? um, and so for me, trying to make a record, I'm like, I would love for it to be um, as interesting or something. And so sure. in order to do that, I'm like, why not take advantage of the fact that I could like bring in different musicians and make this like a, put some textures in here. Some people don't like that. Yeah. They're, they're like, they hear my records and be like, I'm going to see you play your guitar. Like, why do you got to put that saxophone on there? Uh, and I hear that, but uh, I don't know. It's just an opportunity to me. Sure, yeah. Uh, well, actually, kind of going back to uh, your, your touring, mm -hmm. do you have a favorite tour that you've done? 
a favorite tour that I've done. I mean, I have different favorites because like sometimes, well, being like uh lifelong support act, <laughs> there's different people that I've enjoyed playing with and like seeing their shows night after night, mm-hmm. um, like a couple years ago. And then there's some people who are just really fun to travel with, you yeah. know, just like great personalities. And yeah. maybe I, I like their music less, but I like them as personalities more. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like a couple of years ago, I did a tour open for this guy, Bill Callahan, who's a singer songwriter mm-hmm. from, he lives in Austin. And he was just an amazing songwriter and perf- like really captivating performer. Uh, he's very stoic, but like it's intense. And it's this like, he's a real presence and kind of heavy. He's a quiet person to be around, but uh, his songs are just gorgeous. And so, I, like every night seeing him was pretty amazing. Like um, I loved that. And then, um, but as far as hanging out, he was kind of more on the quiet side. He was yeah. a nice guy, but he was just a sort of quiet personality. But um, but then, like uh, I, I did a tour opening for this guy Daniel Nordgren, who's from Sweden, and like his whole band was from Sweden, mm-hmm. you know. And it was like a, a lot of them were in the states for the first time oh. for like a month, <laughs> okay. and they were just like sort of culturally just like turned on by everything, you know. <laughs> they were like going into a gas station, which was like amazing to them because they would see things that oh, yeah. they'd oh. never seen before. Like okay. uh, so, stuff like that. It's kind of fun but uh otherwise like it's sort of nice you know when before covid when traveling and playing music was a thing um it's just a nice opportunity to get to see places you'd never see otherwise you know Absolutely. so for a couple of years there i was off and on i got hired to play guitar for this gospel group the Como mamas who are from uh, north mississippi and we did quite a few tours and like uh in Europe um, so we traveled in France a lot and Belgium and the Netherlands and Spain and that was just great to get to go to those places you know, I've been to Europe a few times playing music but that was like much they kind of toured exclusively in Europe and they had management over there so I get to like be in you know, little weird towns in the north of France a lot and eat really amazing food so that that's definitely feel like so kind of to get to do that sort of stuff because um, it seems kind of rare, you know. Absolutely. And it's a, yeah. You're like, wow, is this real? That <laughs> doing this? you know, right. so, and getting to meet all kinds of people at festivals and things who make their living doing that as well is really interesting. So that's really fun. Nice. Well, um, so you guys are going to be playing at the Chattahoochee Nature Center tonight, as yes. far as the um, Roswell arts fun pop-up concert series um but i do hear that you have a roswell connection i do <laughs> yeah my aunt katha and my uh, her husband my uncle john live here in roswell and they i guess they moved here i don't know back in the early 90s i guess they've been here a while but yeah every time i come to atlanta just about every time i'll stay in roswell so yeah i've been coming Nice. But I've never played in Roswell proper. I've played in like at Eddie's Attic and okay. uh, places like that before and other places in Atlanta, but um, I've never played in Roswell before. And I've actually never been to the Chattahoochee Nature Center, so I'm looking forward to that. It looks like a really pretty venue. It is a gorgeous venue. It's And is it on the river? Uh, it's right across the street from the river, oh, okay, but cool. it's the largest... Um, the largest nature center in the southeast Whoa, and that's cool. yeah know. it was um 
it was started years ago and it's turned into such a such a pretty place and they really focus on native Georgia plants. And That's great. It's it's a great space. Yeah, I'm excited about it. I'm, I'm, uh, yeah, and it's out like the concert's gonna be outdoor on the pavilion yeah, and everything. So it's, be fun. yeah, it's awesome. Um, well, as, as far as that goes, how did you get tied into playing for the Roswell Arts Fund pop-up? Uh, through my man, Scott Hitch here, who I had this like sort of connection who I haven't seen in probably 25 years or something. <laughs> uh, but Scott went to high school with my sister Coulter, my older sister, Hardaway High School in Columbus. And um, I knew Scott and his group of friends because they played in this awesome band, The Goliards. And then I guess you were also involved in drama class yeah, that my mom, my mom was the drama, my mom was an English teacher there and she taught drama and directed plays. And Scott was involved in drama there. And so, yeah, I remember Scott and his brother Ted uh, from when I was a kid, I was like a little brat running around, and they were they were like cool high school dudes, yeah. uh, playing cool folk rock music. But um, yeah, that's that's how. And Scott reached out to me about doing this, so this is a great opportunity to catch up with somebody who I hadn't seen in years and years. But it was also uh, fun to get to do something around Roswell. Nice. I always like any any chance I get to come back to Georgia in general and play. Is always good. Sometimes I play in, in Columbus, my hometown. Nice. There's a venue there called The Loft that's like play there every now and then. And um, otherwise, I haven't. I've played in Savannah a couple of times with random festival type things, but um, mostly I've played in the Atlanta area in recent years. But um, it's good to, it's always good to be back. Well, great. Well, I know that the people who are heading to the concert tonight are going to be super excited to hear hear your music. And um, I know that we are going to be um, looking forward to the rest of the Roswell Arts Fund pop-up concert series. And we're going to continue the conversation with Scott Hitch and Gila Sanders to find out a little bit more about that. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Gila and Scott. So we want to continue the conversation uh, about the Roswell Arts Fund pop-up concert series. So can you can you tell us what those are and how did it get started? Kind of all the details about what these concerts are. Sure, um, I'm happy to jump in. Um, so the pop-up performance series stemmed from a feasibility study that Roswell Arts Fund conducted on behalf of City of Roswell to assess demand for a state of the arts performance space in the city. Um, so what the study found is that Roswell presents a great opportunity for a unique facility that is able to both stand out on its own, but also complement neighboring venues. And so in 2020, we decided to launch a series um, to test out these findings, you know, to see people say they, they want it, but uh, will they really come out um, once we offer world-class you know, performances in their backyard. And so, um, so in uh, February of 2020, we launched our first concert um, with the aim to focus on unique experiences that revolved um, really around four aspects. We wanted them to be um, diverse in genre and also in cultures that we bring in. We wanted to have um, the ability to not only present beautiful musical performances, but also pair them with other um, art 
experiences. So for example, um, for our festival that we also launched in connection with the pop-up performances, we had a pop-up artist village that brought in um, almost 30 local artists. And, and so that creativity piece is really important to us. And then we want this to be about community. Um, these are supposed to be, you know, one of a kind living room concerts that connect you to the music, but also to your neighbors and to your surroundings. And then finally, that collaborative piece, because not only we want to bring in performers from all over the place, but we also want to make sure that we feature our local talent. And so oftentimes during our performances, the opening band um, has been um, someone from here. Um, uh, so these actually started off in 2020. So great timing, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you guys had one February 2020. And then did they occur, like go go on the rest of the year? Were they a little bit different than you were expecting? We or did. Yeah, we um, so we launched in February 2020. And it was at the uh, Roswell Historic Cottage uh, in a beautiful setting indoors. It was a really spectacular night that featured at Roland. And then um, and then we ended up having to we had the, the next one was going to be in March. And so we ended up um, putting the rest of the series on pause until the summer of 2020, when we, after many months of, of uh, trial and tribulations, we, we were able to present them back in an altered way. So we had um, the continuation of the series was outdoors in a parking lot um, with a setting that allowed for social distancing, but also you know, temperature checks and we had masks mandatory, but we were still able to gather in person and be outside and, and provide an audience for musicians that had really been out of business for months. So, um, so we were very excited to be able to do this, uh, this, this new format um, mm -hmm. and, and it worked out. I have to say we were all a little nervous to begin with and um but it, it was it was a very successful format great that's, that's awesome um so 2020 was obviously a little bit different than this year we're kicking off um you know we had one just at the chattahoochee nature center and so how many do you anticipate having each year and how many people can people expect to I guess see in a in a regular year 2020 not <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll jump in here so <clears throat> we actually started this season um July 31st we had a, a what we called the Boku Jazz and Blues Festival so it was an all-day affair um jazz on a hot summer's day it was hot that day but um uh, as Gila mentioned we had um an artist uh marketplace pop up um, as part of that. Um, and, and really, you know, we, with COVID all spring and, and summer, into the summer, uh, we're kind of looking for that, that day where we thought we could get back um, as things were spiking, as we all know. Um, so that was really the launch of the season, and we wanted to do it in, a, in kind of a big way. Uh, the second performance was, as, as mentioned, um, Jake's performance at Chet H Nature Center, which was fantastic. Um, I know we were together uh, the, the afternoon before the show. Um, and we'll continue on. Uh, we hope to do these to present sort of what it might look like if we were to build a new performing arts center. 
um, that was music focused. So <clears throat> the, it, all of this, as Gila mentioned, comes from that feasibility study. And the, the conclusion was uh, build a new venue that's, um, that's music focused to support what we already have in Roswell. There's a great cultural arts center um, owned and operated by the city. Um, so this is meant to be um, in addition to and building on you know the, the great stuff that already goes on here so that Roswell can truly become a, an arts destination. Um, that's the whole goal. So, you know, again, we hope to do over the course of a fiscal year, which is June to July, um, five or six shows um, and, and vary in genre um, as we go. So if listeners have ideas about what they'd want to see, of course, they can contact us. And let hey, us know that's, a, that, that's a great idea. idea get to have some some input on what could be upcoming shows and, and everything. And it's, Roswell really does have a great art scene. And this is just a, another way to help enhance and be able to offer concerts in various venues that people may or may not typically get to see music um, or get to hear music, I guess I should say. <laughs> exactly. And the, the, yeah. you know, the trend is that folks want to stay close to home. Um, to, to get their arts experiences. And what we've found in, in, in research and in um, you know, doing the work that we've done on the feasibility study is that the more you provide, the more likely it is to become a habit um, for, for arts attendees. So that's part of the mission is to, uh, is to make it a habit. Um, um, and again, to bring, bring good, good music, good quality music to Roswell. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I, I love the, I love the idea to just continue offering new new ways for people to experience art in Roswell because it, I mean, people do enjoy it and it, to have various ways for them to see it or experience it, hear it. Uh, I mean, at, at, that really creates a an art destination, um, which is great for us. <laughs> Right. That's what we're trying to to build together for sure. Mm -hmm. So expect a few more of these pop up performances during the spring, and then um, and then we will um, also host the second uh, Boku Jazz and Blues Festival. Hopefully, mm -hmm. um, I think we may stay away from the heat of summer, <laughs> but but we should definitely bring it back. I think we're 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 hoping for it to be a new tradition that we can bring to the city. Fantastic. Well, we'll definitely keep people in the loop on the second annual Boku Jazz Arts Festival. That will be a great addition to uh, the events happening around the city. Um, so what is, uh, so Jake is one of the musicians that's, um, that has played at one of the concerts. Do you have an idea or a lineup of who would be playing at upcoming concerts? So we are not ready to announce any particular artists coming up um, <laughs> of pop-up performances, but I will say um, that we are in the spirit of continuing to look at other genres. Uh, <clears throat> um, we have a, a, a Latin band that we're talking to um, mm -hmm. that would be pretty special. Um, we'll, we'll continue to, uh, there's some other musical theater type orientation, um, and some surprises that we'll come up with. 
That's awesome. Well, everybody just, you know, keep checking back in and, you know, pay attention to what the Roswell Arts Fund is doing so you can keep on uh, and see what musicians are coming to play at the next uh, Roswell Arts Fund pop-up concerts. And where it could be. And where, <laughs> yes, it always, it's, it's moving around. So, which is a great way to show off all of our venues. Um, and I, last question, you guys, uh, where is the best, best place for people to find out more details? On our website. <laughs> so our website and social media. So um, roswellartsfund.org. Um, and then and then our social media, our social media handle is Roswell Arts. So you can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. Um, we also have a newsletter that goes out with all kinds of information. So, um, you know, you can sign up for that on our website or send us an email at info at roswellartsfund.org and we will make sure to put every listener of this podcast on our newsletter list. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Gila and Scott, for joining me and uh, telling us more about the Roswell Arts Fund pop-up concerts. And everybody listening, please go to their website, get all the details, follow them on social media, and just keep in the loop of what they have coming up because they are always doing something new. And uh, it's fantastic to see. And as always, um, if you're planning a trip to, to Roswell, go to our website, visit roswellga.com and follow us on social media. And we'd love to uh, engage and connect with you. So uh, everybody have a great week and thanks so much for listening.